All right, so tonight uh, we're looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 27 at the last uh, 14 verses of that chapter, or whatever those verses are. Uh, let's see, we're going verse, starting with verse number 15 down to verse number 27, so I don't think that's 14 verses. That's more like, what, 13 verses? Is that what you figure up in your head, Mrs. Wife? So we're going, <clears throat> we're going to... Uh, just kind of go down uh, through uh, uh, these 13 verses, uh, kind of a jigsaw type of a lesson, because as we said before, as we study through uh, Proverbs uh, 25 through 29, we have in those five chapters, or well, four chapters, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> let's see, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, five chapters, yeah, somehow it's, you know, kind of, I'm thinking of a riddle that, <clears throat> but I won't go into that, <laughs> about these, these three salesmen. <clears throat> they, they rented a, a motel room for $30, and then the guy that uh, <clears throat> charged them $30 realized that he charged them uh, $5 too much. So anyway, he decided to give them back their money. So he, he sent the busboy uh, to their room to give them back their money. And uh, so anyway, the busboy decided that he would keep $2 and he'd give them each a dollar back. And so anyway, he puts the $2 in his pocket and then he gives them each a dollar. And so... Uh, when you deduct the $3 from the 30 that comes to 27 right? And then he's got that $2 stuck in his pocket, so when you add the $2 to 27 that comes up to $29. The question is, what happened to the other dollar? So anyway, huh? <laughs> That's just something to think about. <laughs> Yeah, my wife said, now they'll do that. <laughs> no one will be thinking about the message. Well, what happened to that dollar? Let's see. Now. <laughs> all right. So anyway, we're looking at comparisons. And all the way, like I said before, five chapters, not four chapters, 25 through 29. Um, comes out to five chapters. <laughs> and, and in those five chapters, each chapter deals with three different areas of discussion uh, there are what we might refer to as comparisons. There's quite a few of those comparisons, by the way. And then uh, we have uh, certain alerts and warnings that we, we find throughout the chapter. And then uh, we have some uh, admonitions. And so, or we could call them edifications, not admonitions. And so we want to look at uh, those uh, three areas as we go down through these uh, 13 verses we're going to start off by looking at the comparisons that we see uh, in this uh, passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 27. We find that there are four comparisons. We have uh, the comparison that is found in verses 15 and 16 dealing with a nagging wife. Now, I didn't write this. Solomon wrote this. I, I would like to say, you know, a nagging person, but that's not the way he wrote it. In verse number 15, he says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day 
and a contentious woman are alike. He says, Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. In other words, <clears throat> he's just simply saying that a woman with a contentious spirit has a very argumentative spirit, and there's really nothing you can do about it. It'd be like someone trying to collect water with his right, or excuse me, oil that's in a bucket of water with his right hand by dipping his hand into the bucket and trying to pull out that oil. Uh, he's going to have a hard time doing that. And so <clears throat> it, uh, it is something that the Lord has to deal with. And many times a contentious wife, uh, an argumentative wife, a wife that... Uh, uh, has perhaps, we might say, a little bit of disrespect for the principles of God's Word in being a submissive wife uh, is probably not going to make for a good marriage. And uh, the long story short, uh, it probably end up in a marriage that's going to end up with separation or divorce. The Bible says, in fact, let's just take our Bible and look at what the Bible says over in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bible, it's not there in the notes, but it came to my notes in my mind. There in 2 Peter, is it 2 Peter chapter 3 or is it 1 Peter chapter 3? It's one of those uh, third chapters there, but you'll have to excuse me while I get over there. All right, let's see here. This is First Peter chapter 3. The Bible says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. Now, the word conversation is in reference to her conduct or her manner of attitude and living. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. There's nothing wrong with those things. We want our wives to put on apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in the which is not corruptible, even the ornament of what class? A meek, now the word meek there is in reference to a wife having a teachable spirit. Now, honey, you're loud, you're contentious, you're mean, you're angry all the time. And you need to calm down a little bit. Have a little respect for your husband. <laughs> that would go a long way with some women I know. <laughs> I, I told you the story about one time I was preaching on a similar subject like this. And... Uh, <clears throat> He's talking about how, you know, the hair on the head of a woman represents her being under the submission of her husband. If she wears her head shorn or short, usually it indicates that she's got a spirit of rebellion. And her husband on the way home said, boy, I really like that pastor's message. And she said, I didn't. I did not like it at all. And he said, well, you might want to pay attention to it. I think what he said was right, and I would like for you to wear your hair a little longer. So when they got home, she cut it completely off. <laughs> I'll show my husband, I'll show him. So that's the kind of attitude we're talking about. So anyway, he goes on to say, let it be a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, what? 
a great prize. And so uh, just a little bit of a nugget there of uh, information to help anyone that may want to apply that. The Word of God makes it very clear that wives are to be in submission to their husbands uh, because the husband and wife is a picture of the church, uh, of Christ and the church. As the church, the church is not to be telling the Lord what to do. The church is not to be nagging at the Lord, but the church is to be submissive to the Lord. And, uh, <clears throat> and a husband and wife that know the Lord, their marriage and their relationship is a testimony of Christ and the church. We get that from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 22. If you have your Bibles, you may want to look there. Ephesians 5, verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in, uh, I didn't say that, Paul said this, in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, cleanse it, washing it uh, of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. For this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So God has set down this, this what we call maybe a, a qualification for a good marriage. And uh, as, you read, as you read through those passages, you'll find that there's nowhere where Paul said that the wife is to love the husband, but the husband is to love the wife. And so uh, as the husband loves his wife and cherishes his wife and nourishes her and, and provides for her, uh, usually in 99.9% .9 of the cases, she can't help but loving a man like that back. Because a man that will love his wife and provide for his wife and treat her with respect and cleave to her is today pretty hard to find. So when you get, when you get someone like that, he's a keeper. <laughs> don't, don't, don't lose him. Uh, because we've got, uh, oh my goodness, we've got some real animals out there today. And so <clears throat> husbands have that responsibility. As Christ loved us, uh, we love him because he loved us first. Amen. And so usually that's the way it is uh, with a man. Uh, men are what we call physical creatures. Women are what we call emotional creatures. 
And when a man cares for somebody and cherishes that person and treats that person with honor and with respect and, <clears throat> and is very considerate and, and maintains good manners around that person uh, and is on his best behavior, uh, usually uh, she can't help but start loving him. And a romance begins because here's somebody that cares for her and someone that notices her. And so God puts a spark within those, those uh, couples that uh, have that kind of relationship. And uh, in most cases, they make for lasting relationships. Well, we got to move on because, uh, as you can see, my time's getting away and we got to deal with some more here. We have uh, over here another comparison, the reflection from water and a reflection from the heart. We read in verse number 19 of Proverbs 27, As in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. So this is in, re re in uh, relationship to what your heart reflects. As you look into a pool of water, usually you're going to see a reflection of your face. As others look into your face, usually they see a reflection of your heart. And so what are they going to see? Are they going to see a reflection of God's grace? Are they going to see a reflection of Christ in you? There's an interesting passage of scripture that some of you are probably familiar with, found over in 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse number 3, we are told, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, through lust. And so <clears throat> here we find that we that have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as we have entered into a relationship with him face to face. Well, <clears throat> he has not only given to us precious promises, but he has also given to us his divine nature. That took place the moment that you received Christ into your heart. The Spirit of God came into you. And when the Spirit of God came into you, His divine nature came within you. And now God wants to work out that divine nature within you. And the Bible says over uh, there in uh, verse number uh, 5 through 7 of Second Peter, He says, so when that takes place... We are to build or add to our faith that God has given to us, that faith that brings us into that divine relationship with the Lord, with His divine Spirit indwelling us and bringing about His divine nature. Uh, so we add to our faith His divine virtues. Virtue is in reference to godly separation, to the knowledge that comes from His Word. Uh, from temperance that we can only gain from Him. Temperance as we understand His kind of self-control, not ours. Patience as we learn to wait upon the Lord. Godliness 
And then finally we come to brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, we reach that place to where we have matured and God has now allowed his love to shine through us. So the question is, as uh, others look into your face, does your face reflect Christ in you? Uh, do they see the divine nature? Do they see a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of love, a spirit of humility? Uh, there can be times where we stumble, but uh, we're always quick to acknowledge. We're transparent and we're willing to acknowledge our faults. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and we seek for forgiveness and we are quick to forgive others. And we're quick to show kindness and compassion. Do they see those things within us? Or do they see something else? Is there something quite opposite of that? They're saying, well, you know, I don't see, I still see the same old Jim Nolan that I used to see back before he ever claimed he knew the Lord. Hopefully they don't see the old Jim Nolan in me. Every now and then he pops up his ugly head, but because of the divine nature, uh, he's quickly brought back down because the Holy Spirit begins to prompt and convict and, and, um, and bring us back to a place of submission. And um, as we move along, we see another comparison here. Notice in verse number 20. We find the never-ending appetite of death and destruction as it is compared uh, to the never-ending lust of the eye. Notice in Proverbs, verse number 20 of chapter 27, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And we understand that there are several sins that are never satisfied. But the Bible refers to the lust of the eye as one of those what we call uh, mainstream sins. Remember Eve, it was the lust of the eye that got us all in trouble with sin. Because she looked at the fruit that was on that tree and she desired the fruit. Because she saw it as fruit that was something that could make one wise. And... <clears throat> We are told, as I think most of us are familiar with in John, 1 John chapter 2, that we're to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now what's interesting about these three lusts here are these three what we might refer to as mainstream sins. As we would think of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That was what was used through Satan of Eve to get Eve to fall into sin. Those are the three things that she saw. Then there was, <clears throat> it was something that she saw that it was good. It was something that she saw that was good for food. It was something that she understood that when she ate of it, she would be like gods. She would know as God knows. And, you know, that's always 
That's an age-old problem. You know, the New Age movement is not really a New Age movement. It's an Old Age movement. Everyone wants to be a little god. They want to be the god of their life. Man wants to be the god of this universe. He wants to be in control, but he's not going to be in control. But he's going to do everything that he can to try to keep God from being in control of this world. That's why we have the Battle of Armageddon. And that's why we're constantly at war with the flesh, because the flesh continues uh, to lust for the things that God does not want us to have. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we have to bring it into submission. And so we're warned of these things. These are things that uh, are going to be a constant battle. It's, it's never going to be won until we get out of this old fleshly body. If you think that you're going to win over the flesh, well, then you haven't read Romans chapter 7. Every day you have to die to the old flesh because every day it resurrects itself. <laughs> and so and I don't care where you're at, what's going on. The old flesh is going to be there. And you have to, I mean, sometimes you have to hold the reins tight. And then uh, we see in verse number 21, the test of precious metals with fire and the test of man with praise. That's kind of an interesting combination. Notice we read there, as the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. In other words, <clears throat> we know that <clears throat> fire is what brings out the best in metal. You take gold or silver and you put it under the fire. And I forget, I believe it's something like 720 degrees uh, to melt um, silver and bring out all the impurities and get the dross out of the silver. And I believe it's something like 780 degrees to do the same with gold. Well... <clears throat> That which reveals how much pride is within us is praise. We have to be careful of praise. Uh, they have what they call rhodomontades. How many of you are familiar with rhodomontades? That's excessive praise. And there are those that seek excessive praise. Uh, they... They like to hear over and over and over again what a great job they're doing, what a great person they are. They seek praise. They ask for praise. Uh, they hint for praise. Uh, the Bible says that we're not to praise ourselves and we're not to even seek praise. Uh, let another man praise thee. And when another man praises you, what should your response be? And so we have some interesting thoughts here. When someone praises you, the first thing you should do is deflect that praise. Think about, well, wait a minute. First of all, if it weren't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be able to do whatever it is you're praising me for doing. But then we also want to give credit. Say, so, well, wait a minute. There are a lot of other people. I'm just a small part, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I caught the ball. Yeah, I ran the 40 yards, and I got within the yard of scrimmage, and I was able to catch that, 
that ball, but there was a man that threw it. We need to thank the quarterback because he's got a strong hand, arm, and he was able to throw it some 45 yards. Uh, but then we need to thank the men that blocked the other guys from uh, allowing me to have, uh, you know, the open, uh, open area uh, to catch the ball. And then, and then we have uh, a great coach that came up with the great plan. Uh, on how to maneuver through the field so that we could catch that uh, pass that was thrown out there. And so <clears throat> when, when the guy gets out there and he catches the ball and he's doing this victory dance, <laughs> you know, uh, that, you know, there's his praise. He, he needs to thank the men, thank the people, the guy who threw the pass, the blockers. Uh, that opened up the pathway, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so that's the way it is, you know. We and, and usually these kind of people they don't last long. You gotta be careful when someone praises you. Think about now, why is God allowing that person to praise me, or why are those people praising me? And um, if we're not careful. That uh, it will reveal something ugly about us is called pride. We, we take all the gratitude and we accept all the credit. We're not willing to properly uh, give to others uh, what is due to them. So we need to be careful of that. If that helps you any, well, then we'll move on. <laughs> We got uh, some edifications here. Notice in verse number 17 and 18, as we move on to the edification of positive and godly influence, we read in verse number 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. So <clears throat> a loyal and godly friend can be a great influence uh, to those that he befriends. And uh, that's what we should try to do in, in uh, the friendships that we make with others is to be the best influence for the Lord that we can possibly be. Um, are you uh, setting out to influence people for righteousness? Do you try your best to encourage them to do the right thing? Do you encourage them to be faithful uh, in church? to come out on visitation. I tell you, you take a, one person, they can do quite a bit in influencing people. You know, there, sometimes it takes a little bit of influence, a little bit of encouragement. We got this uh, uh, Master's Men Conference coming up. Uh, why don't you come with us? Oh, come on, it'll be good. You, you'll enjoy it. We'd like, to felt, we'd like to have you come along. I saw my grandson Levi. He was getting people signed up. We probably would only have four or five, but we ended up with about 12 or so signed up because he's trying his best to influence them to go to the meeting. Uh, who are you influencing? Uh, do you influence others? You know, I haven't seen you out on Saturday morning. Why don't you come out and be a partner with me out there door knocking? Uh, our, the influence. Uh, influence goes a long ways, by the way. You'd be, you'd be amazed uh, how, you, how uh, you can encourage others uh, 
to do the right thing if you'll just set out to be that kind of an influence that God would have you to be. But they have to first see that you're real. And then we have uh, in this edification here, the edification of responsibility, which equals blessings and honor. Notice in verse number 18 of Proverbs 27, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. So when we are responsible to care for the things and care for the people and care for those that we're under authority to, God has ways of promoting us. <laughs> and we end up enjoying the blessings that come because of our faithfulness in uh, being responsible and taking care of those things uh, that um, need to be cared for. Uh, if you work at McDonald's and you see that there are things that need to be done and, and you have a little free time, and so you're over there cleaning up the tables and you're over there picking up the trash and you're emptying the trash, and no one asks you to do that. Someone's going to take notice of that, and the next thing you know, you'll not only be uh, <clears throat> taking care of McDonald's, but you'll be in charge of that restaurant. You'll be managing over that restaurant. And next, um, before long, you'll end up being a regional manager. And before long, someone may decide, well, you know, we need to allow him to have a little bit of a share within our stocks, and you'll end up having some stocks and a stockholder, and you never know how far God can take you up that ladder. Uh, my wife and I, we were at uh, <clears throat> this new Taco Bell restaurant there in Desert Hot Springs. And the tables were all dirty and they needed to be cleaned. And we asked if someone could come over there and clean a table off for us. Brand new restaurant. They weren't busy. There was one homeless person over there drinking water at one of the tables, and we were the only other uh, customers there, and there were like three workers there, and they were all standing around cutting up and talking. And, and uh, my wife said, well, could, could we have someone come over here and clean this table off for us? And there was like five or six other dirty tables there, and she came over and cleaned off the one table, and then she went back to talking. Now, if I owned that restaurant, I'd fire every one of them. Why, why should... You know, whoever owns that or whoever owns the franchise, you know, why, why should you have people like that working for you? But that's about what we have today. And those people will never go anywhere. You know, Brother Darrell, he worked for Jack in the Box when he, when he and Joyce was first married, making minimal wage. But he got in there, he was very diligent. Next thing, before long, in several in a year or so, he was one of their regional managers. He was going around showing them how to open up restaurants and how to run them. Uh, and so God just kept moving him up because he was diligent. It's, you know, you, whatsoever you sow it, that you will reap. There is that law, Galatians 6, verse number 6 through 10. We read, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. 
Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. When we're careful to care for things and care for others and care for those that are in authority, there's going to be a blessing that God will bring to us. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Don't forget that. It's very important. You see that in verse number 18. And then as we move on with edification, we see in verse 25 through 27, edification of praise for the Lord brings about the Lord's provision. Notice we read here that the hay appeareth and the tender grass showeth itself. The herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing. And the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy food. For the food of thy household and the maintenance of thy maidens. In other words, here God would have us to understand. Hey, I provided all these things. I provide the grass for the animals to eat. And they... They grow wool on the, their hide, <laughs> and you take and you, you shave off the wool. You use the wool for clothing. Uh, you use uh, the milk that you get from the goats and from the cows to drink. And uh, you slaughter those animals, and you use it for meat. Uh, and, and many times we forget where it all came from. We forget to praise the Lord for all of his blessings and for all of his goodnesses. Uh, it is important that we remember what is said in Psalms 103. In verse number one, we are to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So often we fail to think about the benefits that God gives. There's a reason why he grows the grass. There's a reason why he gives us cattle and why he gives us sheep and why he gives us everything that he gives us, the rain and the seed. And so often we fail to thank God for those things. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And then we must say in closing, verse number 22 through 24, we have some alerts. First of all, the warning of becoming a fool. Don't. Set out to be a fool. Notice in verse number 22, he says, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him? What is he saying there? Well, he's saying when a man truly becomes a fool... You can harshly discipline him until the cows come home, but you'll never be able to bring him out of his folly. He's just stuck in that behavior because he is a fool. 
And some fools dig a pit and they stay in it all their lives. And you can think, well, what can we do? Let's discipline him. Let's put him in prison for a while. And as soon as he's out of prison, he's right back in the pit. I'm sure we all know people like that. You know, and God, basically what the Lord is saying, you know, if, if, you're, if you're working with someone like that, maybe sometimes it's best to move on. Um, because, you know, he's, he's at that place of no return. If you read Proverbs chapter 1, he pretty much tells you when a, when a man gets to that place where he's a genuine fool, then the Bible says there's nothing that you can do. God says, there's nothing that I can do. And so when his calamity comes and he wants to be lifted out of the pit, God says, I'll just laugh at him. I mean, that sounds a little harsh, but it's there. It's right there in Proverbs chapter 1. Why? Because God had time and time and time again had warned him. And God had given him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You know, the Bible says a just man will fall seven times and God will lift him up. Well, then we don't know what happens after that seventh time. God's grace and God's mercy, uh, it can be spent. You can trample over the grace of God to the place to where he gives no more grace. You say, well, I thought God's grace is unlimited. Well, if God's grace is unlimited, why do people go to hell? If God's grace is unlimited, why does a fool end up in calamity and no way of digging himself out? And so <clears throat> we use God's grace while it is fresh and while it is new. And then as we come down to verse 23 through 24, the warning to be watchful and to know the condition of your livelihood. You notice he says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? No, it doesn't, friend. In other words, be responsible with what God has given to you. You know, we hear these rock stars and others, when they were young, they made millions of dollars and they flaunted the money and now they're older and they're broke and the money's gone. It's not coming back. And, and they somehow try to revive their career, but no one wants to see an 80-year-old man sing Donna anymore. <laughs> 75-year-old man singing, I was out on a date in my daddy's car, you know. People are no longer interested, you know. While you have the opportunity, you know, what is in your hand, use it and use it wisely. Uh, don't be frivolous with it. Don't just simply throw it away. Uh, buy up what time you have. Buy up the youth and the energy and the vitality that you have and use it now. Uh, whatever wealth that you have, don't flounder it. Be responsible. Take it and invest it and multiply it. But don't just foolishly throw it away. Because <clears throat> when it's gone, it's gone. The Bible says a fool and his money soon depart. 
Um, so be wise with what God gives you. Uh, be good stewards of it. Take care of it. Uh, you young people, you get an old automobile, take pride in that car. Uh, take good care of it. Um, maintain it. And, and God will give you something better. You know, I, come, I grew up in a poor family. We didn't have much. So whatever I had, boy, I valued it. All my possessions, boy, I always had it stored away and I took care of it. And when God began to give me something, I would look at what God had given me and I'd say, thank you, Lord. Have you ever just looked at what you have, your possessions, and say, Lord, I want to thank you for these things. You've been so good to me. I thank you for the automobile you gave me. I thank you for the home. I thank you for all these nice things. I don't need these things. But Lord, you've been so good to me. Thank you. You know, just as parents every now and then love to give their son or daughter a Snickers candy bar, and we know Snickers candy bar isn't that good for you, but a father every now and then likes to give his son or daughter something, you know, that's a little sweet that they enjoy. Well, when you love the Lord and you're faithful to God and you're responsible with what God gives you, every now and then he'll throw you a Snickers bar because you have his heart. Uh, so <clears throat> be responsible for with the things that God has given to you. And he may give you a little luxury and a little something that will bring maybe some pleasure into your life. Uh, God is that way. He likes to spoil his children when his children love him and appreciate all that God gives to him. Every head bowed.